0: Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel Galveston. There
1: are ones who do follow Jesus to this day, absolutely, but it's not as many as I want, and it's not as many as I expected. Now, their story's not over, but I'm going to tell you, you can get caught up in that discouragement, and I'm going to say, you got to move past that. Your job is to be obedient. Mary's like, the disciples, if anybody's going to believe me, it's going to be these guys, right? And they're like, no, sorry, move on, sister. Like, we ain't got time for you and your crazy news and all that stuff. And she's like, uh, no, like, I really saw him.
0: She moved on. Disappointment can be debilitating. When reality doesn't match your expectations, it's easy to want to give up. That's even more true when you're following what God has told you to do, but the results just aren't happening. So what should your response be in those seasons? Today, Pastor James shows us the example of Mary. She had the best news on earth, and she was delivering it to the people who should have been the most open to receiving it. But when they didn't believe her, she simply moved on. She wasn't crushed. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 16, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
1: David Guzik said this about this portion. In many Bibles, the last portion of the Gospel of Mark is footnoted in some way, indicating that it did not exist in the earliest Greek manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark. This troubles some Christians regarding the reliability of God's word. And I'm going to tell you, it shouldn't, okay? (laughs) But they wonder if this passage belongs in our Bible. So here's an argument against this portion of being in your Bible, okay? I want to provide you an argument against and for, all right? Two oldest existing Greek manuscripts uh, do not contain this section of this portion, this last portion of Mark. A hundred other ancient manuscripts translated into other languages leave it out also. Let's see here. There's some other historians that that don't cite these verses. There's just a few historians, actually. Uh, In a few other manuscripts, there are two other endings, one shorter and some with additions. That's kind of what we have right now. One-third of the vocabulary is totally different from the rest of the Gospel of Mark, and there's an awkward grammatical transition between verses 8 to verse 9. And most contemporary scholars reject these verses as original. Okay? So those are the those are the arguments of like this last part probably shouldn't be in there. Okay? Here's the arguments for of many very early Christian writers, actually a whole lot of early Christian writers, refer to this passage in their writings. Okay? They they all believe that this is. Should be included, okay? And I get a list of them Justin Martyr, Papias, Irenaeus, uh, Hippolytus, Vincinius. I mean, if that's how you say that guy's name, I don't know. But um, all these guys quote or cite Mark 9 on. OK, these are major early church fathers and historians, all that good stuff. Overwhelming majority of ancient manuscripts do actually include this passage. Actually, virtually all Greek manuscripts include this path portion of scripture. OK, let's see here. It's so there's like, should it be in there? Was it torn away? Was this added? All this good stuff. And, and even the, the argument against it about the vocabulary and everything, I'm going to tell you right now, like literary style, it actually does match up with the gospel of Mark. Okay there's this uh, chiasm it's a literary style called chiasm okay so it's like it's it's like bookending a letter or some sort of literature that you're writing right so in chapter 1 you write this truth that, like this then in the last chapter you repeat that same that kind of same style but you do it in a reverse order so it's like chapter 1 is a b c d chapter 16 is d c b a it's a it's a literary style that's commonly used and that is what you find in mark chapter 16 so it does mirror, it parallels chapter one, actually, in the Greek, okay? So it's called a uh, chiasm is, is what it's called, or chiastic literary form is what it's called. So when I read through the gospel of Mark, I don't stop at verse eight. I keep going through nine, 10, 11, 12, I go all the way to the end. But why? That could be, so, what if that's Satan putting that in there to mislead you, Pastor James? He wouldn't have included this because this is against him. Why would he do that, right? That makes no sense. And again, it reflects the heart of all the other gospel accounts. So let's look at this. Let's see, I think I summarized all that. Uh, If you want more, more resources concerning that, this really does trip you up, because it may trip you up. If it really does, I can point you in the direction of many resources that can help clarify that, probably better than what I did. But let's see here. Going to the shorter ending of Mark, it says, then they briefly reported all this to Peter and his companions. Afterward, okay. Jesus himself sent them out from east uh, east to west with sacred and unfailing message of salvation that gives eternal life, amen. That's what's included in my New Living Translation as the shorter ending, okay? Here's the longer ending, verse nine. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons, So this is, here's Mary, one of the very first people to physically encounter Jesus in the garden. He had rescued her from demon possession. Seven demons found residency within Mary, physically. There's different thoughts of this as, well, maybe she had a mental illness or something like that. She didn't have a mental illness. She had demons. She had demons. Okay. She's demonically possessed. How do I know that? Jesus is a great physician. Okay? And and this is what Jesus this is what Jesus has done for her. He set her free from this demonic possession and then she becomes one of the first ones, the first person who saw him physically resurrected. Like that that is not the person you would choose to share the greatest story with. She's not because number one, like most of the, you know, culturally, most of the men within that, they're not going to hear from a woman anyways. And they're certainly not going to be listened to some crazy lady who, yeah, she's better now, but what are you talking? He's, he's risen from the dead. I love that Jesus selects these people to share his gospel. You can't disqualify yourself. You cannot disqualify yourself. This verse right here takes away that argument from you. So if you've been walking around like, oh, who am I? Right. Who are any of us? But he's chosen you. You have no excuse. You have no excuse. But I've done this in the past. So have we all. What, you've sinned in the past? Welcome to the club. We've all sinned. Your sins look different, sure. But we've all sinned. We are all disqualified to a certain extent, but he qualified us by his death, burial, and resurrection. And here's Mary Magdalene. And no, she wasn't the lover of Jesus. They did not have some love child and whatever Dan Brown book there. All that's useful for is toilet paper on your backpacking trips, okay? (laughs) Da Vinci Code is for that or kindling to start a fire, okay? That book is garbage, okay? Okay? There's no, there's no relationship between Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Well, there was, and it was as Savior and sinner. That's what the relationship was. And I love that he starts off this amazing story, so to speak, using the least of all. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping, and she told them what had happened. But when she told him that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. The disciples. She's like, I saw him. He's in the garden. He's not the gardener. But I saw him. I thought he was, but he wasn't. He spoke my name. He's there. You're crazy. You're crazy. They're too busy grieving. They're too busy weeping. They're too busy having the sads, right? Right? all up in their feelings, you know, just like, oh, no, it's never going to be okay. And no, it is okay. It is okay. Go to the garden. Go see the tomb for yourself. They didn't believe her. That would discourage most of us. That might make us angry, frustrated. I'm just never going to share again. It didn't go the way I thought it was going to go, so I'll never share again. Stop with that. Stop. Most people probably will not receive your message. Okay? Okay that's reality. Does that mean we quit? No, no. I spent 13 years as a youth pastor, 13 years as a youth pastor, preaching the word of God, preaching the word of God. They heard what I had to say. Do all follow Jesus? No, no. Do most follow Jesus? I don't know if I could say that. Who spent a certain amount of years with me as their youth pastor, not just preaching to them, but pouring my life into some of these guys. And there's a, there are ones who do follow Jesus to this day, absolutely. But it's not as many as I want. And it's not as many as I expected. Now, their story's not over. But I'm going to tell you, you can get caught up in that discouragement. And I'm going to say, you've got to move past that. Your job is to be obedient. Mary's like... The disciples, if anybody's going to believe me, it's going to be these guys, right? And they're like, no, sorry, move on, sister. Like, we ain't got time for you and your crazy news and all that stuff. And she's like, uh, no, like, I really saw him. She moved on. It says afterwards, this is Jesus. He appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country, going to Emmaus. Luke's gospel goes into this in greater depth, right? So these are the two walking to Emmaus, uh, it says, they rush back to tell the others. So these two had an encounter with Jesus. They're walking down the road. This third guy shows up. He's like, what are you guys so sad about? They're like, dude, where have you been? Jesus just died, right? And they just buried him. And then he begins from Moses throughout the, throughout the Old Testament, which is why we still preach and teach the Old Testament, by the way, because Jesus saw value in it. And you can see Jesus in the Old Testament, actually. So he was teaching them about himself from starting with Moses. And then, then he sat down with them and he was hanging out with them. And then he, he's gone. They're like, whoa, wait a minute. They're like, our hearts were burning. Because when he was talking to us and they realized that was Jesus. And so they run to go tell the disciples. They rush back to tell the others. But no one believed them. This is, this, okay, so these are Christians, all right? I'm gonna use that term, okay? These are like, these are Christ followers. And this is if I'm showing up here and like, Jesus is risen from the dead, and you're like, nah, I don't really believe that. Why are you here? Like, what? Like, I'm glad you're here, but like, no, but like, if you're in the family, this should be like the greatest, you should have been expecting this. They go to the disciples. They're like, the disciples, nobody receives their word. They don't believe them. Verse 14, still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. This would be later on that night. Sunday night is is really the thought here. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief, (laughs) right? He's going to call them out on it. He's like, what is wrong with you guys? I told you that should have been good enough. And then Mary told you you didn't listen to her. And then these two other disciples came and told you. Now, we know chronologically from the gospel accounts that Peter and John had a foot race to the tomb, right? John outran Peter, right? And then but Peter was the guy who's like, and John, of course, is the one who includes that in his gospel. Like, I was faster. Yeah, but Peter went in, okay? So he checked it out. So we know that these things happened. They saw the empty tomb and all that stuff, but they still didn't receive any of the testimony from the other believers. And Jesus rebukes them for their unbelief. What we know about this this part of the story, too, is uh, you have Thomas, who's who's not present at this meeting. He'll be present at the next one, but Thomas is so bummed out, he's not, even, he's not even going to church anymore. Thomas is so discouraged, he stopped going to church. Thomas, the truth, is still there. He did raise from the grave. He did rise again like he said he was going to. But Thomas got so bummed out, he was like, I'm not even going to hang out with you guys anymore. But what happened? The church went and got Thomas, if I can use those terms like that. They got on there. They're like, look, you got to be there for the next one. Because he did show up. He got onto us. So you should have been a part of that, Thomas, but you weren't. But he'll get you. He'll get you later. But uh, he got us, man. He called us out because that's what he does sometimes. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. And then he commissions them. Verse 15, he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. That everyone is that in your Bible to everyone to all that's everybody that's all oh, right. I just want to make sure we're clear on that. You don't get to be selective. There's no group in here that ex, that's excluded, right? Am I reading this right? I mean, I I know how to you know observe and interpret and apply, and that says that the gospel goes to everybody. Okay, just making a note. Apply yourself. Nobody's excluded. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Well, that's the gospel. There you go. Believe, be saved. Believe and be baptized. Is baptism essential for salvation? No, not really. Should you be baptized? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's your public proclamation that you are a Christ follower. You should be baptized. Now, if you died today and you haven't been baptized, God's not going to be like, well, I'd like to let you in. (laughs) You did believe, but you weren't baptized. So we won't send you to hell, but we'll send you halfway. No, that's not that's not biblical at all. Like, no, there were people that throughout history, there are people who had, probably haven't had the opportunity to be baptized after receiving Christ as their Savior, and they're fine. They're okay. You'll talk to them in heaven, I'm sure, okay? Thief on the cross next to Jesus. They do believe. and Jesus is like, I'll see you in paradise. I'll meet you there. But baptism is a part of what we do. It's a sacrament. It's what we do. It's what you should, you should be baptized for Jesus. You should absolutely do that. I don't think baptism is optional. Okay? Now, it's not necessary to go to heaven, but it's not optional for the Christian. If you are a Christ follower, you should be baptized, period. Period. Anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Because why? Because they refuse to believe. That's on them. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages or in tongues. This is the book of Acts right here, this next part. This is the book of Acts. I hope you understand that. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. Who wants to do that? Uh, My goodness, what is wrong with... uh, But the book of Acts, Paul's gathering firewood, and a viper bites him, and all the natives are like, that dude's dead. He must be really bad too, because only snakes bite the really bad guys, right? That's their weird kind of philosophy or something. But uh, but Paul just shook it off into the fire, and he never died. Why? Why didn't he die? Because it wasn't God's time for him to die. Now, do not be a fool and go play with snakes. Okay. And I don't understand some of these church services where they bring out the snakes. I'm like, what is wrong with you? That's not the. Way. If you if you get that from this portion of scripture, you got to go back to reading your Bible because it doesn't say to do that. Drink poison, and no, it's not talking about that. What it's saying is, God knows how to protect his people. And he already has two dates set within your life, when you're going to be born and when you're going to die. And he knows in between those two dates how to protect you and watch over you in that process. He's got a plan for you. It doesn't excuse foolishness, though. You should not go out and be foolish. He's given you a brain. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, I wish I could maximize a little bit more of what I have, but I only get a certain small percentage, I think, but he's given us his brain. So there is common sense that comes with following Christ, and we should apply that to our daily lives. But he's laying this out. If they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them, and they'll be able to place their hands on the sick, and they'll be healed. We see this happen in the book of Acts. Now, there are some brothers in the church who believe that this has stopped. In the book of Acts, these things stop. They're called cessationists. Okay? And they believe that these gifts were just for that time period, and now the church doesn't really have need of these gifts anymore, these demonstrations and all that good stuff. Many popular people believe this. John MacArthur is one of these guys. And I would disagree with that. Okay? I would disagree with that. Because I think people still are being set free from demonic possession. I believe people are still being physically healed by the laying on of hands and the anointing of oil. I believe that. I believe some of these things are still happening. And to what degree and all that good stuff, look, I don't know. I don't know, but we talked about this before. I don't think we see a lot of it in America anymore because we are so distracted. The enemy has done a great job. Distracting the church of America. We're so preoccupied and we're so busy and we want fast results and we want instantaneous this. And Lord, I'm going to pray for it right now and I'm expecting it to happen right now. And if it doesn't, we get mad at Him. But we have brothers and sisters on this planet who live in this reality. So if you don't think any of this stuff is still working today or whatever, I'm going to encourage you to go take a long term mission trip to anywhere else outside of this country. And see what God is doing. Yeah. Try it out somewhere else and see. We have stories. We have friends who are missionaries. They're on the mission field. And they come back with these crazy stories that you're like, I don't, look, I believe you, but this is hard to believe. Why? Because we don't see it that much. And if it did happen in, in our church and all that stuff, we'd probably would be, we'd be like these disciples. We'd be like, I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> so I, I would caution us. I don't, I don't agree with like these sensationalists in one sense who like to extravagant and make these, you know, stage shows about these things. I don't agree with those guys at all either, okay? So hear me out. I don't I don't align with any of those guys, but I also don't believe with the guys who are like the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't really applicable to the church today. I don't agree with that, but I also don't believe, agree with some of the guys who are making a, a whole lot of money off of displays of miraculous science, quote-unquote, okay? We have to be cautious of that stuff. What I hold fast to is the word of God. And I, I just try to be led by the Holy Spirit. And in situations and circumstances, somebody comes in and they need to be prayed for. They need hands to be laid on them because they got a sickness. You know what we're going to do? We're going to do that. And we're going to expect that God honors his word. And he told us to do that. And if there's somebody who's possessed by a demon, you know, we're going to going We're going we're to pray. We're going to pray. We stand under the banner of Jesus Christ. So there's some of this stuff that trips people up, and then that you know the snake handling and all that good stuff. That's why a lot of times people have issues with this portion of scripture. And look, it's just simply these these things were in action, especially as the church went out and was obedient to obedient to the commission that God had placed them on. Okay. Verse 19, when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven. He ascended and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs, okay? So that's, again, it would transition right into the book of Acts. As they were doing these things, they were proclaiming the gospel. First and foremost, okay, the gospel is preached, all right? That's to all my faith healer, friends and stuff. The gospel goes first. Oh, but we like the signs. We like the show. And no, 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 it's the gospel. And anywhere in the book of Acts, you read it, they're preaching the word first. And then God backed that up with some miraculous signs when he wanted to, when he wanted to. Okay, so does he do it all the time? No, it doesn't happen all the time. But regardless, here's what applies to us today. You have the call and the call applies to all of us. It's a commission. Go into the world. Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, that's Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them the word. That's the commission. That's a call. That is not optional. It is a command from your commanding officer, okay? From King Jesus. He says, this is what you're going to do. But, let me say the but, because we don't often talk about this. Before you go, you need power. You need power. And that's exactly what Jesus told him in the gospel of Luke, Luke 24, 49. He says, but wait until the Holy Spirit comes on you and empowers you. To what? To be my witnesses. And then the same thing is repeated in Acts chapter 1. So I'm going to encourage you guys with this. We always go back to Matthew 28 because it's the great commission. What's our plan? What's our purpose? What's our, the great commission. That's it. Like, it's as simple as that. Like go make disciples, baptize them, teach them the word of God, like get into the Bible together. But what we haven't included is the the waiting part because we're so eager to do. We're so eager. I don't know if we're eager to go, but we are eager to do. Okay. If that makes sense to you, right? because we all want to feel good about ourselves and doing makes us feel good about ourselves. But before you go, before you do, you need to wait for the Holy spirit to empower you, to empower you. Cause if you don't, you will find yourself in, in, in places where I found myself many times getting frustrated because I'm doing it out of my own strength. So our commission, as we wrap up Mark chapter 16, the gospel of Mark, Go. Go. Go for Jesus.
2: Broken, the hopeless, hopeless, bread for the
0: Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' life while he was here on the earth. Mark offers unique perspectives on this time, emphasizing Jesus' servanthood to the people that he met. Jesus loved practically, often, and with everyone. What a kind and humble servant we get to serve. If you need to hear this message again or you'd like to catch up on previous teachings, visit our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Listen tab and feel free to explore the variety of verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter Bible teachings. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston. And if you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come visit us. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Our Thursday night Bible study starts at 7 p.m., and you're welcome to come join us for both. Our atmosphere at Calvary Galveston is relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. For more information, visit our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. You can get directions there as well. We're excited to meet you and spend some time worshiping with you. That's all the time that we have for today, but we're so glad that you listened in to hear from God's Word. We encourage you to read ahead in the book of Mark and to gear up for what's ahead in this New Testament book. There's so much to learn, so much to know about Jesus. So make plans to join us again, right here on Bread for the Broken.
2: Let me paint the picture of you.